I would like to um, give my welcome to any guests that might be with us for the first time. Um, I am Pastor Jeremy, the senior pastor here at Calvary, and it is our pleasure to have you here with us. Uh, we, as a body of believers, join together for a few reasons, and one of which is to worship. And we, I hope that you've been able to join with us and do this worship this morning. And now as we join together around God's word, we come to, in my opinion, the most important time of why we join together. That's to open our Bibles and to learn from him. I'd ask you to bow with me in prayer and we'll pray one more time as for the clear involvement of the Holy Spirit. Gracious Father, it is truly our pleasure to join together in your house today. What a blessing it is to not only know that amazing grace that we have just had opportunity to sing about, but to be able to know others that know that grace and to be able to go through our journey in this world not alone. We thank you for your beautiful and perfect plan of giving us a church, a local church. And I would ask God that right now, as I oftentimes think on this, there are many, many distractions that would enter into people's minds. I think some might be good things, some might be stressful things, and I think that the devil would love if individuals had things calling for their attention besides our time spent in your word. And so I would ask right now for your clear involvement. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. May you work in our hearts as some folks have been preparing maybe for the last six days, maybe for the last six months, perhaps for this encouragement from God's word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There are some injuries that we come across in this world that we can respond to by just kind of walking it off. Maybe that's happened to you. Perhaps you've been playing a sport and maybe you've hurt your ankle or you've hurt your finger or arm in some way and you're not going to cause the entire game or progress to stop. You're just kind of, you're going to kind of work your way through that. There are some injuries like that. There are other injuries that you cannot do that with. Some injuries are very, very serious. Some aren't so serious, but the truth is you're just not able to continue until you've gotten to the point where you're past that injury. One idea that comes to my mind when I think of everything stopping, particularly when something like this happens to you, is when an individual gets the wind knocked out of themselves. If you get the wind knocked out of yourselves, it is different than something that you can just work through. Now, I wasn't quite sure how many individuals here have or have not had the wind knocked out of you, so I'm going to do a little poll here, and I'm going to ask how many individuals have not had the wind knocked out of them. If you've not had the wind knocked out of you, would you raise your hand so I can see your hand? Hold it up for a second. Okay. All right. Probably 10% of the people have no idea what I'm talking about when I say get the wind knocked out of you. Pretty much you get hit in some kind of a way, maybe in the stomach or maybe you fall down on your back and it does something within you and I'm not a doctor nor do I play one on TV, but it does something within you that causes you to not, not be able to breathe. It is my contention that if you have had the wind knocked out of you, there is nothing else productive that is going on until you get your wind back, as we call it. And so if you get the wind knocked out of you, you're not going to go, and until you get your wind back, you're not going to go and try to accomplish one or two tasks until that happens. For the 90% or so of you that have had the wind knocked out of you, what do you do when the wind is knocked out of you? 
You don't do anything, right? You stand there and you wait. And usually somebody asks you a question, right? Doesn't, if, if, if someone's around you, they usually ask you a question. Are you able to answer their question? If it's yes or no, you can shake your head, yes or no, I guess. But for the most part, you're not able to do anything when you get the wind knocked out of you. There is no higher priority that you have in your life at that time than getting your wind back. We're going to look into God's Word today, and we're going to look at the teaching of Jesus Christ in the Beatitudes. That's where we've been for a few weeks now. And I think that Jesus Christ, as he's teaching, is trying to get across that idea. There is absolutely nothing in your life, in your world, that is going to be more important than what he's going to tell us here in our text today. We're going to see in God's word today that happiness is promised to those who have an unyielding pursuit of a life defined by righteousness. All of that to bring us to our text. If you're not already there, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. And as we look at the Beatitudes, I'm not going to review what we've already covered. Um, we do put the sermons online. You can go and listen to them if you're interested. We also have CDs available in the office if you'd like to see what we've already talked about regarding the teaching of Jesus Christ and these Beatitudes. They've been such a blessing to me, and I pray they're an encouragement to you as well. We have divided each of these Beatitudes into two main sections. Every one of them divides into two sections very easily. First of all, we find the role, what Jesus is telling us to do, and then at the end, we find the reward. They both start with R, so it's easy for me to remember. The role. Let's start this morning with the role that Jesus gives, and then we'll break that down into a couple of, of topics as well. The role is this. Happiness, Jesus Christ uses the word, what, is, what does he use at the beginning of the Beatitudes? He says, blessed, or happiness is available to those who go after righteousness. Now, if this is your first time in one of our messages on the Beatitudes, then you have not yet heard me say that each one of these Beatitudes that Jesus gives is something that his children are supposed to go after. It's not just something that happens. We are to go after intentionally each of these that he gives. And Christ here says happiness, incredible happiness, will belong to the one who goes after righteousness. Now I want to divide up this role into two different sections. And if you're taking notes, um, the first one is this. The first subtopic is this. The object desired of a righteous life. So Jesus talks about this righteous life. What does that mean? What is the object that he's talking about here? And if you're reading through the scriptures to really gain from it, this is a question you're going to ask. What is Christ saying that's going to lead me to happiness? What is this righteousness? Well, I would suggest as we start that every soul in this world is going to be going after something. Everyone will have something that is the object of their going after, their desires. 
Sometimes we hear the question today, what is that individual passionate about? And that thing that you are most passionate about, Jesus Christ says, should be righteousness if you desire to have joy in your life. And so everybody goes after something, all right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands while I give a list of common things that people go after, but you can make a list just as quickly as I did of things that people will go after in order to be happy. Sometimes people will go after with everything they have romance. Have you seen people go after romance like this? Have you seen? I'm I'm not putting it down. I'm glad for romance. I'm glad for Valentine's Day that we celebrate this week. Having said that, I was was a, 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 a dorm supervisor at my college campus, and so I had to observe some areas and keep the peace in some areas. And one of the most thing, one of the things that took me back the most was when I saw these two freshmen on campus sitting across from each other, and we used to call it this. We used to call it making out with their eyes is what we called it. You weren't allowed to make out on campus where I went to college. And so they would sit there and look at each other with the googly eyes. They would make out with their eyes. They were going after this, and it seemed like above anything else. Nothing wrong with romance. In fact, I'm for romance. I'm working on it myself. What about sports? Have you ever known someone who put everything they had into accomplishing that level of achievement in sports? Sports was my God when I was young. There was nothing more important to me than playing basketball. I would take every opportunity I had to do this. And it wasn't even a good comparison. It's not that God's righteousness or pleasing God was even close. Basketball was way at the top for me. For many individuals, they've put it as that next rung on the ladder at work. Maybe this is you doing everything that you can to accomplish that next level at work. The one that comes to people's minds very quickly is the idea of riches. Many people will put this idea of riches and they will have that as the top priority of their life. Comparison is very helpful for us to understand what Jesus Christ is teaching here. What is it that we should have as an intense desire to the point where we're not going to allow anything to get in the way of that? That's the idea here. You need to go after righteousness to the point where nothing else can come and distract you for a few days or even a few hours. Nothing is more important than this. If I can just put it very bluntly, some of you are spending your time and your energies and your life going towards things that are going to rust. They're going to fade away. And it's not that we don't have to have things in this world, and it's not that it's wrong to have money or to have a nice house. But very clearly, I think five seconds after eternity starts, whether it be in death for each of us or when Jesus Christ comes back, I think five seconds after eternity, we're going to have a very good scale to see what was more important. And if I try to stand in line with all the other believers that are going to heaven and point to my 401k, point to my house down there, many of them would snicker. What's that for? Who is that for? 
And so we cannot set so many of these things aside. And I've said that before. If you've been part of our Bible Knowledge Hour or listened to it on the radio or online, we've talked through this, that the devil does not distract most people, most Christians, with the terrible sins. But instead, it's the good things. The things that I can even give you a Bible verse for why I should have that. And the idea that Jesus gives is we need to have these things in the right perspective, the right priority. This pursuit is not to take second place to anything. Now, this does not mean that God does not want us to be hard workers. And we could preach a whole series on why God's people need to be hard workers, support their families, work a hard job, not look for a handout. The responsibility that comes with maturity. There's no doubt about that. But compared to pursuing righteousness, there's not going to be anything that comes even close. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. And the one that jumps out from Jesus' teaching is nobody can serve God and riches. But I think that for many people, there's something besides riches that they might stick up there a little bit higher than righteousness. And so a question that we need to constantly ask ourselves is, how can I be made righteous in the sight of God? If you're interested in what Christ is teaching, that's the question. How can I be righteous in the sight of God? Because if you're like me, when you came to Jesus Christ, your desire for sin didn't just disappear. If you're like me, you might know the grace of Jesus Christ. You might know that if you were to die today, you would be in heaven. And yet, there is something within you that pulls you towards all of these things that would give a temporary satisfaction, a temporary laugh, but would never last. My desire for sinful things has not disappeared, so how can I change my desires? We have a word that we use for this. This will be your big word for the day if you like to um, learn some things. It's familiar to a lot of folks in the Christian world. The word is sanctification. Sanctification. When we think of sanctification, a good definition is it's the process of becoming holy. Now, if you want to go a little bit deeper, if you want some homework, you can study three parts of sanctification. We have our positional sanctification. That means you're saved. Your position in Jesus Christ is settled. You've asked him to forgive you of your sins. You know that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and you know you're on your way to heaven. This is our positional sanctification. And then if we can skip over one and go right to the end, we have our ultimate sanctification, this is when you no longer have that sinful pull. You don't struggle with the old nature anymore. Our ultimate sanctification. But today, we're going to be talking about progressive sanctification. And if you want to divide that word up, the first part of progressive is the word progress. This is what it should look like in your life. You should be seeing progress and it's a beautiful plan that God has given us because every one of us can attain that. Everyone. Does not matter what your history is, you can improve. You can progress. 
It does not matter how much sin you have done in the past. It does not matter what your gifting is or what your biggest temptation is. Every one of God's children can be successful in progressive sanctification, gradually becoming more like Christ. Well, what does this look like? It's a job for us to study God's word and to see what the life of Jesus Christ looked like. But there are a few things that I would highlight this morning for us. It means not being content with allowing the devil to have a foothold in your life. Every one of us is different. Every one of us has unique struggles and temptations. And the devil has been fighting this war long enough that he's seen every personality type And so he will throw everything at you. And what I'm saying is, if you want to progress in your Christian life, you cannot say, well, if something is sin and needs to be corrected, you cannot just say, well, that's just who I am. That's just my personality. We'll have to put up with that. If something genuinely is sin, God never commands us to do something or not do something without the ability to obey that command. You understand that? God does not mock us. And so if God has told you to do something, God will give you the ability to do it. You don't have to wait for that ultimate sanctification. You can see progress here in this world. You don't have to give in to temptation. Claim God's promises. Repeat God's word back to him You will not allow me to go through any temptation where you will not make a way of escape. Or, if I can share with you what I say when I am approaching a possible temptation with something that I struggle with, I quote from something that's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where I say this, I'm heading towards it. I've fallen before. And here's why I I said it this week to myself. Sin is is crouching at the door. That's another assignment for you. Where is that at in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament? Sin is crouching at the door. The devil would seek to have you. And God has made a way for us to progress, to get better. Or if I can borrow Jesus' word, to be more righteous tomorrow than we are today. Some other practical points for this is to be patient as God is teaching us humility. You must know humility in order to have success in your Christian life. And so you're going to have to be patient as God takes you through some of these classes to teach you humility. Also, we need to not be content until our character reflects as much as possible the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are blessed incredibly that we can read about his life god is so wonderful to have sent his son to walk on this earth and the most important task was that he died on the cross for our sins but we have this record of what he did how he responded to people how he did not respond how he looked at individuals that were different than him to reflect the character of jesus christ this leads us to righteousness very practically You can be more righteous tomorrow than you are today if you understand the impact of your words. Do you have any clue how important the words that you speak are? And even the lack of words that you speak? 
how key this is to our righteousness. When a Christian makes progress in some of these areas, and there are a thousand more for us to add on, when you do make progress in one of these, then you're not content to stay right there. You say, God, help me to persevere. Help me to continue to build upon this. And so our desire for righteousness should be so strong that we will not be content until every part of my life looks like the life of Christ. Number one, the object is a a righteous life. And then number two, the method. And Christ is specific here, isn't he? When Christ talks about going after righteousness, he uses some very colorful words. Now, I've not said those words yet, but I have given the idea behind those words. We find that Jesus Christ says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst is an idea that people in Jesus' day, they, they could take that in and very well understand that. Death from starvation or from thirst was something that was very real in Jesus' day. And as I was studying through this, I, I, didn't, I didn't really think that it was as relatable for many of us. I've never been close to death by starving to death. And some of you are going, yeah, no, no joke there. I can tell you've never missed a meal, some of you might say. <laughs> I've never been close to death by thirst. There's all, I've always had access to water. So I could not relate to that. And so what I did was I took something else that many of us can relate to, and if you don't have it, you understand that the end of your life might be very near. You will do anything to get to that thing that you need. And that thing that I started with was when you get the wind knocked out of you. Think of this question. What would happen to your priorities right now if all of the air were sucked out of this room in a matter of five seconds? What would your priorities be? Would you be being polite to the speaker at that point and sitting there and not wanting to disrupt? Would you be thinking about lunch this afternoon? I'm sorry to bring that up. I just, lost about, I just lost about 20 people probably when I mentioned that. What would your priorities be if all the air were taken out of this room? It would be one thing that would be your priority, to get air. When I was young, I enjoyed a Christian camp experience. I went to a small camp in Illinois called Camp Assurance. Camp Assurance had a great swimming pool that um, it was fun for us. And Camp Assurance was a, it was a small camp, and we wore, you weren't allowed to wear shorts at that camp. They had all the, you know, the girls were wearing culottes. Some of you girls don't even know what culottes are today. And some of the boys, all the boys were wearing jeans pretty much. One year at camp, I forgot to take my swimming trunks, but I was not going to miss swim time. I love swim time in the swimming pool. So I wore my blue jeans to swim in back in those days. No big deal. When you're in the shallow end, it's not a big deal at all. But I was wearing my blue jeans, and I wasn't going to miss out on the deep end. I loved that time. Now, there was a word that used to describe the kind of jeans that I wore when I was young. And I'm so thankful this word is not used anymore. The word was husky. Husky was the name (laughs) of those jeans. If you wore husky jeans, then it would absorb twice as much water as a lot of the string beans that were around you. My whole point is this. I can remember being in the middle of that deep end with those blue jeans on and swimming like normal, and yet I could hardly keep 
my mouth above water. Anybody coming by and giving me a tap would push me down and make me struggle. I very quickly learned that my priority had to be I could not go underwater because I didn't have the same ability to get up that I would if I was wearing regular swimming trunks. When you and I grab a hold of this idea that there is nothing more important on this day than you pursuing righteousness, this is where Jesus Christ is going when he says happiness is going to come to you. Happiness is available if you will make this your priority. And some of you wonderful saints who have spent your years learning this, you would nod your head and say, Amen. There is nothing that would pull me away from seeking character, seeking an understanding of God's word, seeking God in prayer, worshiping with God's people. Some of you would amen that. And others of you would say, what's Jesus' definition of happiness again? What, what, he wants me to go after righteousness above all other things? And I, if I have to side with you or with Jesus Christ, I'm going to land with Jesus Christ. There is nothing that will bring you more joy in this world. Incredible happiness is for those who would seek after righteousness. There's nothing that will satisfy us here in this world like righteousness. The words hunger and thirst are the words that Jesus used, and that was a very real item for them in that day. Someone could very much so die from thirst or die from hunger. We have a a lot of wonderful writing by David. David the king, David the shepherd, David the psalmist. And David writes in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul pants after you, O God. And again, we need to undo an American definition here because when you think of a deer, I have deer out by my house. When you think of a deer that's out there and he goes over to the ravine and there's supposed to be some water there and there's none there, what does that deer do here in the Midwest? Well, he just goes over to the next stream over, right? So understand when David would write this, that when there was a deer, an animal, out in the wilderness, there was not all kinds of water for them to quench their thirst with. They might have to plan their entire day walking to a location with water. As the deer pants for the water, as the deer understands that it's not going to survive unless it gets that water David says, my soul thirsts after you, O God, in that way. And so here's the lesson for us. This happiness that Jesus promises is not just for those, are you listening? It is not just for those who are curious about righteousness. It is not just for those who want to consider righteousness from a distance and weigh all their other options before they decide on that this is an evidence that you know god this desire for righteousness within and everybody in jesus's day could relate to this word picture those who hunger and thirst after righteousness if you do not eat if you do not drink then hunger and thirst will come and if you're if you're a christian today the old nature would 
never go after this. The old man could never go after righteousness. The opposite of this is the person who is self-righteous. We use that term sometimes. And when I think of the people that Jesus faced, there were individuals that were self-righteous. They thought their righteousness was good enough. In fact, right here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus teaches very clearly, and I think this was a tough thing for people to hear at first. We understand it if we've had time to study through it. Where Jesus tells his disciples listening to this sermon and the crowds around them, unless your, here's the word, righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the, what? Scribes and Pharisees you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here's a comparison that's going on. And Jesus said to these people, their righteousness has to be more than the scribes and Pharisees. Now, I mentioned earlier a list of some things that you can put up there as far as top pursuits. And maybe you have an opinion as to which one of those knocks more Christians off of following God than any other. But there is one that I did not include in that list. And that's this idea of individuals who are self-righteous. This is a dangerous place for individuals to think that they are better than others because of what they do. When we join together to worship God, it's in response to the fact that we could do nothing to please Him. Our list, before salvation or after, it doesn't add anything to our standing in the eyes of God. It's simply a progress of our sanctification. It's a reflection that we love God so much that we want to live our life in a way that would please Him. The method to achieve this is to have a desperate pursuit, whether it's after, like, you're hungry or you're thirsty, or you're searching for oxygen. The idea is is that nothing will be more important than that. And then let's look quickly at the second part of the beatitude, the reward, the reward. Jesus Christ says, they that do this will be satisfied. I've already said, other pursuits will not satisfy. There are plenty of people who have sought after gold, and gold is not going to make content your soul Even the richest man who's ever been in this world was not quite as rich as he wanted to be. I was watching the news just very recently and they mentioned an individual in the news and they gave him the title, the richest man in the world. Well, who's that? Seems like it changes maybe every other year these days. The richest man in the world and then they gave their story about him. Now, if you rewind about 50 years and you talk about the richest man in the world, or maybe at least in America, there was always one name that came up about 50 years ago. It didn't change every two or four years. For quite a long stretch, that name was John D. Rockefeller. And when Rockefeller was interviewed one time with the incredible money that he had, and he was asked a very honest question. He said, or he was asked this question, how much more money Do you want? How much money is going to be enough for you? And his response was memorable. How much will be enough? He said, just a little more. 
And whether you have billions of dollars or dozens of dollars, that is going to be how much money will satisfy you. It does not last. Alexander the Great spent his life traveling and conquering lands, one land after another, accumulating wealth, accumulating a bigger army, and it never satisfied. Solomon built structures that the world would talk about. He had wine, he had women, he had amusements, he had riches. And he said, in the end, none of it satisfied. Solomon would discover this lesson that Jesus Christ would later on talk about in this beatitude, that godly contentment awaits the believer that is passionate about righteousness. It's too bad he couldn't build a time machine and go and see what Jesus was going to say. Contentment is something that Solomon never found with all those pursuits. And the word contentment is dangerous. I know. Doesn't mean we are to be lazy. Doesn't mean we are not supposed to be working hard. We're supposed to be earning money so that we can worship God, give some of it back to Him, send out missionaries to the end of the world. Jesus gives the answer here. God's promise is the one who does this shall be filled. The scribes and the Pharisees were never filled. And it's not if someone hungers or thirsts, then, well, they're going to get a good solid meal. They're going to be filled. And so God looks here and God gives this task to go after with everything that you have righteousness and the idea that you will be filled. Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Okay, brothers and sisters, what are we supposed to do with this? Is it practical enough for you? I mean, is what Jesus is saying here, can you apply this to your life? I'm not saying is it easy. I'm not saying it's not something you're going to have to every couple days revisit and say, has anything popped above becoming righteous in my life? Well, what can we do with this message of Christ today? Well, first of all, very practically, you can attain righteousness by getting to know the character of God. You need, you must get to know the character of God. This is going to come through a consistent pattern of talking to him in prayer. Not just praying before a meal, not just praying before you've got to take a test. A consistent pattern of prayer. Ongoing. And I don't want to be too rough here, but I can tell when I pray with individuals out loud, I can tell individuals that have a practice of praying and individuals that don't. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying they're in a different place as far as their progress. Prayer ought to be an ongoing conversation throughout our lives. What is heavy on your heart? What's rough for you right now? What are you thankful for? What did you just see that God did? These things should spill out of us in prayer. We need to know the character of God by studying his word. Reading God's word is something that is going to be, that, that cannot be compared to anything else that God has given us. His perfect word, taking it in, memorizing it, having a good Bible IQ. Worship, worship in your life, responding to the grace of God in your life, but also worshiping corporately, joining with God's people, and then serving in some way. 
If you get to know the character of Jesus Christ, you will see that when he was here on this earth, one of the best words that described him was he was a servant. He served. The king knelt down and washed the feet of his followers. And then number two, what can we do with this? Place your sanctification as the top priority in your life. And this is not something that you can check off on a list and then you're good to go for the rest of your years. Because the devil will constantly get creative to put something else as more important than seeking after God. And I love the point that what we find here is available to everybody. I, I referenced this earlier. I don't care what your history is. And some of you, I've, I've heard some of your history, your story, what you went through when you were a child or a teenager, or the sins that you committed even, or the sins that were committed against you. God does not say only those who have had this life are able to attain this, no matter what your history, no matter what your gifting, no matter how many gifts you have of the Spirit, no matter what your status is here in this world. God allows every child of His to be part of this progress growing closer to him. Do not be content to let anything jump ahead of that priority. And if you do this, there's a contentedness that comes. Now, there's a, there's a paradox here in this teaching. I don't know if anybody noticed it or not. Blessed are they who are hungry, so we need to be hungry, right? For they will be, what? Filled or content. Well, hang on. Is it Which is it? Are we content and filled or are we hungry? And the answer is yes. That's right. Getting up every day, going after righteousness, but then being able to lay our head on our pillow at night with a contentedness that I have done everything that I can do. There has been nothing that has jumped ahead of the priority of Jesus Christ in my life. And practically for everyone, what you get if you do this is... Happiness, joy. What a wonderful promise that God has given to these people when they heard those words out of his mouth for the very first time and for you and I who have the recorded words of Jesus Christ to guide us until we come to that point of our ultimate sanctification. And we're going to hear, hopefully, the words at that point that God has told us, he will look at you, and it's my prayer for each of us that he will see, say, well done. Well done. Look what you did here in this time frame. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we talk to you again, I would come on behalf of many folks here in prayer. Individuals that oftentimes have something going for them in their life that it's hard to make that second place. Some people who are are enviable in talents they have or a status they have. And so they've been given a stewardship of this and how difficult that would be to put you first. And yet, God, you've commanded it. 
Your son said to those who were around him, it is easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And as they heard this, they knew it was impossible for that camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Jesus said, but with God, nothing is impossible. And that tells me that you can be the top priority of every one of your followers. We praise you for that. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Anna to play through a stanza on the piano just before we close with a song. This is a chance for you to pray. If you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what that means is you realize that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin on the cross, and you beg him for forgiveness and to make you his child. And you can do that even during the quiet of this moment. For others, I'm going to ask you to pray about what might be the biggest thing that would knock Jesus Christ or righteousness out of the top priority spot in your life. I'm going to ask you to give that over to God. Amen. Amen. We're going to close by singing that song as.